Amen, amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. How you guys doing tonight? Oh, come on now. It's Tuesday night. You got nothing else going on. No school stress, no nothing. But hey guys, uh, first off, I want to say I'm glad to be back with you guys. It's been a couple weeks. Um, not by my own choosing, but kind of by my own choosing. Um, I had the opportunity the last two Tuesdays, uh, while you guys were here worshiping and learning, I was hanging out at Universal Studios. So, um, it was for spiritual things, all right? Um, let me explain. Uh, the first Tuesday I was gone, um, I was invited by a guy named Brent Crow. Um, and if any of you guys have ever been through like Lyft Tour or like Student Leadership University, those guys, he is like the vice president of SLU. It was him and a guy named Nathan Schneider who preached here a couple weeks ago on campus here. Um, he is the statewide director for the Baptist Convention for student ministry and college ministry. Uh, basically, he invited those two and then like 10 youth pastors from all over the state to gather uh, together to lift each other up, to encourage one another, to pour into one another, um, and to, uh, to learn together, but then also to have fun together. So we spent all morning uh, in workshops, talking, having a great time, and then in the uh, then we ate lunch together uh, at City Walk, and then we spent the afternoon riding roller coasters and just making memories together, having a good time. So that was day. That was the first Tuesday I was gone. The second Tuesday I was gone um, on Monday and Tuesday of last week. I was at First Baptist Orlando uh, for a conference called Youth Pastor Summit. There was like 1,500 youth pastors from all over the Southeast and East Coast coming together. Uh, for two days of just intentional learning, fellowship, hanging out. And as we were walking out of the final session on Tuesday afternoon, they handed every single youth pastor in the crowd a day pass to Universal Studios. So me, Hunter, if you guys know Hunter, Bruce, and uh, Nick, Peller, and then Drew, uh, the East, East Campus student pastor, the four of us spent the rest of the night hanging out in uh, Universal Studios. Got to ride Velocicoaster for the first time. If you haven't had the chance to ride that ride, you have not truly experienced the grace of God and the goodness of God. That is like one of the greatest experiences outside of my salvation and like my kids' salvation and all that, like, and I guess my wedding too. Um, the, the like greatest experience, like out of body, unreal. There was a point, if you guys have, how many of you guys have ridden it? Anybody, like how many of you guys have not ridden it and you have no plans on riding it um, because you're scared to death of roller coasters? All right, that's fine. I'll, I'll let God deal with you later. But like there's this barrel roll at the end. And if you've ridden it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The one that goes over the water, like where you're like right there, where there was a point where I wasn't making contact with any part of the ride. Like I was floating. Like the harness wasn't touching me. I was not touching the seat. I was just like levitating over top of the water. It was insane, uh, but so good. If you ever get a chance to go, go. But that's where I've been the last two weeks. So I've missed you, but only a little because I was having a lot of fun with youth pastors. Um, and you throw 1,500 youth pastors into any place at one given time, and it's a party. Like, we took over the queues, like, in the rides. Like, it was nothing but youth pastors cutting up and having a good time. So it was good to, like, unplug and, like, just be, be able to, like, just be refreshed a little bit doing those kind of things. So I appreciate uh, Chris and Doug filling in for us, uh, for me, and that was just great. I'm so appreciative of them. Uh, but before I get started tonight, I want to um, reintroduce you to somebody they haven't seen in a while. Um, and this time I want to do a proper introduction. Um, sweaty Alaska girl is in the back there. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about... 
the, the first week I was here, I was introducing my family, and, and, and I told the story of how I knew her as Sweaty Alaska Girl, and I never told you guys her real name. Um, and I didn't find that out until later when I got assaulted by her uh, that night. But uh, that is Amanda, my beautiful wife, in back. She's hanging out with me tonight. Um, and we just love what we get to do. We love being involved in student ministry. We love, some of you guys were in our youth group when we first got here. Uh, we love just serving the church. Um, I, I, I learned a long time ago I was not called to serve necessarily a specific age group, but to serve the body of believers. And so um, for the last couple of months, I've been serving as the interim uh, college pastor and helping with you guys and just trying to be a resource as much as I can. Um, I'm spread thin, but man, God has been doing some really cool stuff and just excited to be here with you guys tonight as we continue our study in the book of Acts. But before we do that, one more thing I'm really excited about. If you notice on your table, there's a bunch of these cards right there. All right, and here's what we're going to do. I want you to mark your calendars. April 29th, it's a Tuesday night. I believe that's the right date, right? 26, sorry. I'm, I read it upside down. Um, April 26th, it's a Tuesday night. That is like the Tuesday, like finals week is right there, like UCF, like cramming. You guys all know, all of you that are college students, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like that's when you actually start paying attention to your classes, all right? And so we are going to open up. We're not going to have our normal Kaleo that night, all right? But from 7 to midnight, all right, the hangar will be open, and we'll have study areas for you guys to come, and we'll, ha we'll provide free drinks, free, co uh, free coffee, free snacks, not just for you guys, but for anyone that is in finals week. So, like, if you have friends that you go to school with that you're in class, and, like, people always complain, like, nothing's open, it's not late, I can't do it. Well, we're going to be open until midnight. All right, so take these with you. Give them to people. But also, like, if you're studying, like, in the student union at a table, leave it on the table when you're done. You know what I'm saying? Like, just leave them out. Like, let's plaster these everywhere. There's a bunch on each table. I don't want to see any left on the tables tonight. Like, take them with you and use them. Um, and then we also have more on the table in the back there that you can distribute. And if we run out tonight, we can, we can print more. All right? So we want to just be a service to the community, be a service to the campuses that are going into finals week. Uh, doesn't matter if it's UCF, uh, Valencia, Seminole State, whatever. Like we want to be a resource and just pour into college students a little bit. So this is just a small opportunity for you guys to play a part in that. All right? Um, Tonight's message, um, tonight's passage that we're covering is in Acts chapter 6, um, and it is a passage that um, I really, sadly, I identify with a lot. Um, it, it, it's one of those passages as I read it, especially in the last couple months that I've been going through here, like it's been... This has been a, a unique season of ministry for me. I've uh, just been doing a lot of different things that I don't normally do. Um, and and I, the idea behind this idea or this, behind this message is the theme of growing pains. All right? Growing pains. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I'm a tall guy. All right? I am, I am six foot seven. Um, I have been tall my entire life. Um, I was six weeks early and 21 inches when I was born. So if you understand, like, how, like, human growth works in utero, like, if I would have lasted the whole, like, 40 weeks, if I would have went those last six weeks, I would have been born a toddler, all right? Like, I was just a big guy from the start, from the jump. And, and this idea of, of, of growing pains I am super familiar with because at, uh, in third grade, I don't even know how old I would have been at that point, 10-ish, all right, in third grade, I hit the five-foot mark, all right? That's when, that's when I crossed it. Some of you girls are still waiting for that day. That's cool, 
all right? But like five foot third grade, right? Kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. Seventh grade, my 13th birthday, my parents had this like growth chart in the, in the hallway. You guys know, anybody you guys have that, right? Like in the door jam. And like every birthday, my parents would measure us so we have like an accurate growth rate. Like 13th birthday, March 21st, seventh grade, I'm standing up against there, six foot. Hit the, crossed the six foot barrier in seventh grade. And like I could tell you this, like I was an athlete growing up. I played football, played basketball, played hockey, like everything. And like I hurt all the time. Like my joints hurt, my knees hurt, my elbows hurt, my ankles hurt, everything hurt. And every time we went to the doctor, he's like, well, he's having growing pains. And if I heard a doctor say, you're having growing pains one more time, I was about to like lose it. Right? And then they came up with like this um, super like technical answer. And there's this disorder out there called Oshkenslagers. Any of you guys ever hear of that? If you're tall or you have a tall, like you've grown really fast. Basically, the best way I could describe Oshkenslagers is they say your bones grow so fast that your tendons are stretched out like rubber bands. And like they're real easy to snap and tear and damage because you've grown so fast. So then they stopped saying I had growing pains and they were like, you have Oshkenslagers. And I was like, thanks, that doesn't help me at all. Right? And so all, these, all this time I had these growing pains going on and on. And it not only caused physical pain, but it was a financial burden. All right? Um, I wear a size 15 shoe. I moved into the 15 world in eighth grade. So, like, I was like a puppy. Like, my feet grew and then I grew. Like, that's just kind of how it worked. Like, my paws were bigger than my body. And I was in a size 15 in eighth grade. I told you I played a lot of sports. So I needed, like, specific shoes for each sport. So, like, size 15 football cleats, size 15 basketball shoes, size 15 throwing shoe when I threw the shot put in the discus. Like, all these things added up. But here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever been shoe shopping um, and you, like, been to, like, the large sections or, like, to the standard area, like, with the common folk, all right? They pretty much stop producing shoes at size 13. Who amened that? All right, they they stopped at thirteen. Like they like so, I would go to like I'd go into the Nike store for example, and, and I would walk in and I'd be like, oh, I really like this cool shoe, and, and I'd walk up to it and I'd be like, all right, tens, elevens, eleven and a half, twelve, thirteens, thirteen, 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 and it never jumped above thirteen. And I was just like, I was always so mad. So like, I always had to go to the guy working at the shoe store and be like, hey. You have this in a 15, and like typically their response was like straight laughter in my face, and followed up with "Follow me to the special wall." And I don't know, like as as like a 15 year old kid, there was nothing more defeating than having to buy shoes off the special wall. There there was this store in New Jersey called Sneaker Stadium. The place was massive, right? And it would go in, and they have a you walk through like any other standard shoe store, all the different sizes, and then you go to the special wall. And, like, it would be, like, size 14 through, like, 45. And, like, it's just, like, these massive clown shoes. And then, like, there's my 15s among them. And they were never good-looking shoes. Can I just tell you, like, I, I didn't get to pick my style. I didn't get to pick the color scheme. My high school, uh, we were blue, like, royal blue and white. Those were our colors. All right? And, like, I had to play basketball. So, like, my options were all white, like New Balance dad shoes, right? Because at that point, all whites weren't cool, all right? Or like purple. 
<laughs> like Barney purple, bright, like, and, like it clashed with the uniform. It was ugly. It was painful. And as a kid growing up, I used to hate that I was so tall and that I grew so fast because it caused problems. It caused problems trying to find pants. It, it caused problems trying to buy shoes. It caused problems with my parents trying to feed me because I was hungry all the time. It got to the point where they made me get a job in a restaurant simply so they wouldn't have to feed me while I was on the clock because I got to eat at the restaurant for free, all right? It was just like one of those things, like it was constantly these things. And guys, listen, can I tell you that growth is not always easy. Growth is not easy. It's not an easy thing to, to conquer in any way, whether it be your physical, personal growth, your spiritual growth, your, um, your financial growth, or even church growth. And as we continue this study through the book of Acts, as we, as we take a look at, at chapter 6, just the first couple of verses, I need you to understand that the early church struggled with this. And if we're honest with ourselves as we read through this passage, as we, as we apply it and we, we unpack it a little bit, I think we see that we're still kind of struggling with some of this. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We're only going to be there. We're not going to bounce around, so get comfortable, get locked in. All right, we're just looking at seven verses, starting in verse number 1. It says this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good rapport, um, full of the, <coughs> excuse me, good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they, were cho and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmius, Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. Um, and these, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then verse number 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Can I pray for us? Father, as we unpack this passage, as we talk about the early church, as we talk about what you did here and what, how the church responded, Lord, God, I pray that you would just open up our ears, open up our hearts to what you have for us. Lord, speak through me. Help me to get out of the way. Lord, let your words, not my own, come out. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Here's the thing, as we read these two passages, we, he, we see good news and bad news, all right? Good news and bad news. First is the good news. We'll start there. It's always good to start with the good news, um, is this, is the church was growing, all right? We see this in, in, in the, the, first, the first verse and the last verse, right? The numbers are multiplying. Things are happening. The gospel is, is like proceeding forward. But with that good news comes the bad news, People are complaining. I know you might be shocked by that, like someone in a church might complain about something, and that never happens today, right? No. I mean, it happens at least like three times a day 
in my office alone, and that's just me. All right, like we, 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 the church is starting to complain. The, the people are starting to complain about things that are happening. There's massive growth. The gospel is moving forward, but people are struggling. People are complaining. And the church here, guys, listen, the church responds. The disciples respond. They, 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 they jump into action. They hear the complaint. They respond to the, rep- the complaint, and they make changes. They adapt. They move. They make things work. They try their best to think. And here's the thing. Tonight, I just want to look at like four things, four lessons, if you would, that we can learn from the early church here in just these seven verses. Four things that we can look at today in 2022 and really put into action and focus on as we are the church, as we are interacting with people, as we are um, serving side by side, as we're reaching people, as we're doing the best we can to reach people with the good news of the gospel. All right? First lesson. Lesson number one is this, that we should celebrate gospel-centered church growth. All right? Like I said earlier, the church was growing. In verse number one, we see that, right? Um, Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, all right, they're growing. Verse number seven, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Here's the thing. We need, as a church, we need to be celebrating this. We need to celebrate church growth. We need to celebrate when people are, are coming to know who Jesus is. But here's the thing. I, need, I think we've confused church growth with church transfer. Let me say that again. We've confused church growth with church uh, transfer. But here's the thing, it's very specific that we need to understand that, that gospel-centered church growth is really the only church growth that, is, that's, that matters. What do I mean by that? I mean that gospel-centered church growth is rooted in the fact that people are coming to know who Jesus Christ as their Savior. Gospel-centered church growth is based off of discipleship, based off of people hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, the church being the hands and feet of Christ and going out and sharing the good news with the people that they interact with on a daily basis. That They're going out and they're proclaiming Jesus to the world and people's lives are being changed. That's the kind of church growth that the early church here in Acts chapter 6 is experiencing. They don't have a church that is like, that just became like the hottest flash in the pan and like people from other churches and other, other disciples groups are like transferring over like, oh, we're going to go over here. It's trendy and fun. No. Their growth is coming from the disciples and the apostles sharing the good news of the gospel, preaching Jesus to the world. Here's the thing, guys. We need to understand that people react to growth differently. I've been in the church ministry now for, man, close to 20 years, which crazy considering I'm only like 22. But who laughed at that? Listen, I'm not 40 yet. Back off. All right. But we, here's the thing. Like I've learned over the years that people respond to growth differently. All right. In the church world, and this might shock some of you, but people are going to respond differently. There's people that are going to celebrate it. They're going to be excited about the new bodies coming in and like new people coming in and people getting saved and people responding to the gospel. There's going to be those people, and then there's going to be the grumblers. Well, this person doesn't look like us. This person doesn't dress the right way. This person doesn't act right in church. They don't know what to do. Man, they, they sat in my spot. Like, that's my pew. I've been sitting there since the Apostle Paul came and planted this church. Like, I'm, that's me. That's mine. The only response that we should have as a church is celebration. 
When gospel-centered church growth takes place, we need to respond in such a way that celebrates what is happening and what God is doing. And too often in, in the church world, we, we, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of the fact that the church should be celebrating when people come to Christ. The church should be celebrating when people's lives are transformed. Just this past uh, Sunday night, I told you guys I'm a student pastor, like, and we had five students walk through the waters of baptism right after church service. It was one of the coolest things in student ministry I've, had, I've done in a long time where we, we had our normal youth group night, we finished up 15 minutes early, and we all went outside and celebrated with those five students. Like we celebrate life change, we celebrate what God is doing, we celebrate what God is transforming in people's lives. That one of the girls that got baptized out there, her name's Lindsay, and I don't think she'd mind me sharing this, but she came this summer for the first time off of the invite of a friend. One of her friends um, said, hey, you should come to church. And actually, there's more to the story I found out after the fact that actually she kind of invited herself like she heard all her friends that go to church here talking about it, and she was like, man, I really want to go. And, and so she kind of said, hey, can I come with you? And they're like, yeah, you should come with us, right? But one of her first times showing up to youth group, she gets saved. Like, response to the gospel, like, it makes sense, it clicks. I talked to her, and like, life was radically changed. And, and just like two nights, three nights ago, two nights ago, I got the chance to sit, kneel, kneel next to the baptismal and talk to her about that and just celebrate with the church family that she is a part of the church. She is a part of who we are. She is a part of God's family. So guys, listen, we need to be celebrating gospel-centered church growth. We should desire to see thousands saved. I was just talking with somebody just a few moments ago about UCF and how massive it is and how big of a campus it is. And those of you guys that are students there, you understand, like, the thousands and thousands of 18 to 24-year-olds that are on that campus every day, how many of them need Jesus? <laughs> every last one of them, Right? We need to be doing what we can to reach those people. We need to be doing what we can to share the gospel with them. We need to be planting seeds of the gospel in their lives. And then when it starts to happen and we start to see people get saved, we start to see people's lives transformed, guess what? We don't just like move on to the next one. No, we celebrate in that moment. We give them due. We, we, we honor what God is doing. We need to be celebrating Christ, or excuse me, gospel-centered church growth. The second lesson that we pick up from this, ver uh, from this passage is this. We should expect problems when the church grows. Can I just tell you that the church is not perfect? I'll be the first to tell you that. I've worked for the church for, worked for a church now for 20 years. We are flawed. We mess up. We screw up. We make mistakes just like any, anyone else. And when church growth happens, those problems will continue to happen. Because we're imperfect. The only one who could ever lead a perfect church would be if Jesus Christ himself were pastoring. Like if he were the one in the pulpit leading every single second. But we as congregants would find a way to screw it up. We need to understand that when church growth happens, we should expect those problems. Good churches fail at some things. But what do we do in that? How do we respond in that? Because, guys, listen, you don't have to dig back too far in recent history to realize that things happen. Right? 
right? We all understand that, that stuff happens. Problems happen. But how do we respond? How do we respond to that? Well, I think in this passage, we see the church respond in a certain way. First, we see this, they're protecting unity. The first thing that the church here does in Acts chapter, there's this this discrepancy between the Greek converts and the Hebrew converts. The Greek converts, which are known as the Hellenists here, are feeling like they're being neglected because the the Hebrew people are taking care of their people um, and their widows and the distribution, they're being cared for, and they feel like they're being ignored. And, and, and the church steps in immediately, right? The, the, the disciples immediately say, hey, oh, we got right, to correct course here. They protect unity. Guys, listen, one of the most destructive things you could do inside of a church is create discord. Is to run your mouth. To badmouth somebody else that's inside of this ministry. Protect unity, promote unity, support one another, encourage one another. Do everything you possibly can to protect the unity of God's church. The second thing that we could do to help push back against some of these problems and to help work through these problems is is keep up with the needs. Right? We see they kind of dropped the ball on taking care of the Hellenist widows. But they corrected course and did what they needed to do to get it right. And they continue to do these things. They continue to keep up with the needs. They continue to, to reach out to people. They continue to preach the gospel. Right? Also, we can overcome overburdened leadership. Can I just say that over the last three months or so, I've felt this in a lot of ways. Kara could probably speak to it how many times. Those of you who don't know, Kara over here, she's our admin in the student ministry suite. She keeps us organized. She's great. We love her. But, like, she, there's times where I walk in, like, after a long day of trying to, like, organize three different ministries at once, and, like, I just sit down on the couch in our suite, and I just stare off into nothing. (laughs) But what I will say is that we have a team here, and especially in the college ministry, like, of people, they just met today. I couldn't be here for the meeting because I'm overburdened. But, like, <laughs> they met and they, and they worked through some stuff and they worked on their leadership stuff. And they're, 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 they're planning, they're prepping, they're taking those steps. They're doing those things. So, guys, listen, if you see a need and you see a leader that's struggling, offer help. I promise you we will take it every time. At least I will. Like, be willing to jump in. Be willing to do what, what, what needs to be done. We see this again as, as the disciples were like, hey, listen, we've got a task to do. We've got to continue preaching the gospel. We've got to continue doing this. I need you guys to select the best of the best of your guys and task them with this. Make sure this, this ball doesn't get dropped again. Step into those roles. Help eliminate problems by staying ahead of the curve on them. Also, we need to keep ministry priorities in order. I always love the, the phrase, keep the main thing the main thing. Anybody ever hear that? No, just me? Cool. All right, it's fine, whatever. It, it's just keep the main thing the main thing. And in the church world, can I tell you what the main thing is? Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and the gospel being proclaimed. Like if we don't do anything else as a church, that is what we need to do. Now, are there other things that we need to do? Absolutely. But as a pastor, I can only do so much. As a pastor, Dr. Mercer can only do so much. Pastor Doug can only do so much. 
There's a point where we need people to come alongside us and serve alongside us and continue to be the hands and feet of Christ and fulfill the purpose of the church so that we can keep our ministry priorities in order. You have no idea how much it helps when you step in and serve as a small group leader or as a camp counselor or, or even just prayer, stepping in and praying for people, visiting people that are in the hospital, all these things that just take up time. If we can have other people helping us and assisting in that, it frees us up to be able to do what we're called to do and proclaim the gospel. Keep your ministry priorities in order. And then the, the final thing that we could do to help push back against these problems that come with church growth is this, that we could advance the mission while managing people. What do I mean by that? We need to like continue pushing forward towards spreading the gospel. And, and for this context, let's just say spreading the gospel to college campuses. Like we need to keep moving forward while continuing to love people. Not treat people like a number, but treat them like a person who is loved and cared for. Continuing to do what we've been called to do. Keep moving towards the goal. The next thing that we learn from this next lesson, the third lesson, is this, that we should protect biblical priorities, make wise adjustments, and share the ministry. Make biblical or protect biblical priorities, which we kind of already talked a little bit about, make wise adjustments and share the ministry. Here's the thing, guys, listen. There's two things that we need to be doing. We need to be in prayer, and we need to be sharing the gospel. Like, again, if we were to boil down ministry in its, in its purest form, like we need to be a people of prayer, and we need to be people that are sharing the gospel. Keep your biblical priorities straight. Keep your, your, uh, your biblical priorities protected. No prayer if you have a, a life that is like without prayer, that signals like so much pride in your life because you think you could do it without God. Like you, if you want me to tell you the spiritual temperature of your life, tell me how much time you spend in prayer. It's a pretty good gauge. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people that are preaching the gospel. The church here, guys, listen, you need to understand, is both an organism and an organization. What do I mean by that? Very simple. Like, yes, the church is an organization. Like, we are a 501c3, nonprofit, blah, 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 all those things, right? We do a lot of good work. We do all these things, blah, blah, blah. But we're also an organism, which means that the, the world around us is constantly changing, and we as a church need to constantly be adapting. I'm in the process of reading this book. Actually, we're reading it as a staff. It's a book called Canoeing the Mountains. And this whole idea, it's based on the, the ministry world around us is changing, and we need to be able to adapt. And they use the story of Lewis and Clark. Anybody know the story of Lewis and Clark? Right? The, they, they're moving west. They're convinced that the Mississippi River somehow connects to the Pacific Ocean. Right? So their, their plan is to hop in canoes and canoe from the Mississippi River all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Well, they run into a little problem. As they move west, they run into a mountain range known as the Rockies, right? Giant mountain range, can't get through it, can't, you, I don't know if you know anything about canoeing, you cannot canoe up a mountain. It doesn't work. Gravity works against you, the water doesn't work in your favor, like, at that point, their, their plan of canoeing to the Pacific, Pacific Ocean stopped right there at the foot of these mountains, and they had a decision to make at that point. They could quit 
and keep canoeing and never reach their goal, or they could adapt and conquer. And at the foot of the mountains, they left their canoes to the side and they became backpackers and mountaineers. And they continued west. As a church, we need to be doing the same thing. We need to constantly be, be looking how we can adjust, how we can adapt. And that brings change. That causes us to do things differently. That, cha- that causes us to sometimes have to upset the apple cart a little bit. Sometimes it means we move a meeting from Sunday night to Tuesday night. Sometimes it means we, 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 we change how we do things. It changes how we interact with people. It changes our approach, but our goal remains the same. Preaching the gospel, reaching people with the good news. You adapt how you get there, but you're still striving to get there. The early church did a great job in that. When they saw a problem, they would learn to adapt and adjust so that they can continue reaching people. But here's the fourth lesson that we see, and we should see growth problems as opportunities for more gospel-centered growth. And man, I love the conclusion of this story, because in verse number seven, not really the story, but in this passage, um, in verse number seven, it says this, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Catch this last part. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We don't know exactly how many, but there's some commentaries that say it could potentially be thousands of Jewish priests in that moment when they see the early church make that adjustment and and continue to preach the gospel and continue to do these things, and they start to see them minister to the, the, uh, the Hellenists and their widows as well as the Hebrews and their widows, and they see them like be intentional in serving the community that their lives were changed at that point. Problems are an opportunity. Problems are an opportunity for us to to point towards Jesus and see him move. I think too often we get discouraged in our problems. We get discouraged in the situations that are around us. We, we, We see this problem, we see this mountain, and we're like, well, I guess that's not the way. And we turn around and we go back. We give up. Instead of saying, all right, God, Here's this mountain. Let's go. I trust you enough. I trust you enough to follow you. I trust you enough to live out your plan for my life. I trust you enough to proclaim the gospel to those that I work with, those that I live with, those that I go to school with. You see, guys, listen. As a church, our goal, I can just tell you, like, straight off the bat, like our goal as a church is to grow. But hear me very clearly. It's not so that we can put a certain number on a report and brag about our numbers. No. It's so that we can see more people come to Jesus. So that we can see more people's lives changed by the good news of the gospel. Those five students that had the opp- we had the opportunity of baptizing on Sunday night, man, they represent life change. We, they represent people like that used to be dead in their sin and now are walking with Christ. We need to celebrate that. We need to do what we can to continue to point people toward Jesus so that we can see gospel-centered church growth. So here's my challenge to us. 
Here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road, guys. Here's, here's where I need you guys to lock in and I need you guys to hear what I'm saying is we are a team and we need to participate in this mission together. I'm tired of having people in our church that are just consumers, that are sitting in the pew, they come on Sunday mornings, they open their Bible, they close it, they write their check to feel good about themselves, they give, they walk out the door, and they never do anything else. It's time that we get activated. It's time that we motivate or that we get put into motion and we start serving our community. We start reaching the community with the good news of the gospel. This Saturday, we have a huge outreach event here at the church called Extravaganza, right? And those of you that have grown up here, you know like how big this thing can be, how, how many people we can reach in just a few short hours. And like, I'm looking forward to it. I've got this renewed like passion for talking to people about Jesus, like as I've been studying this and been challenged in my own faith. And like, I'm excited because I'm gonna have a student ministry booth and I'm gonna be standing there talking to people about student ministry and I can't wait to tell people about Jesus. I'm excited. What about you guys? We need to be ready to contribute. We need to be ready to be part of this team. We need to be ready to, to continue to pour into people so that we can see gospel-centered church growth, see lives changed, see communities change, see everything change, and then let's celebrate together. Listen, there's nothing, as a pastor, there's nothing I love more than leading people to Christ and then getting the opportunity to baptize them. Like, for me, like, baptism is one of my favorite things I get to do in the church, there's nothing more fun than like just celebrating with that person, that decision that they made. So we need to be celebrating. When we see people get baptized, we need to like lose our ever-loving minds. Can I give you permission for that? Like next time you're in service and someone's getting baptized, I don't care if, they, if you know them or if they're like 85 years old or like if they're like six years old and you've never seen them before. I don't care. Lose your voice next time someone gets baptized at church. Like, celebrate that, that decision. Celebrate what God is doing. Because it's, that is right there, a gospel-centered church growth moment. And we need to be celebrating those. We need to be, like, pointing towards, towards uh, Jesus in those things. And l- just let the world know that this is important. The other things I want to ask you guys to do, and this is a little more personal, First, I want to ask you to pray for our leadership. And I don't say that like selfishly, like pray for me. Like if you want to, great. Like I'll take it. But man, pray for our pastors. Not even just our pastors here at Cross Life, but like just pastors around the world. It's a hard, it's a hard life. It's a struggle. It's a difficult thing, and be praying for our pastor here, like Pastor Mercer and Pastor Doug over at East Campus, that that they'll continue to seek God's face, that they'll continue to pursue the mission in the face of discouragement, in the face of a culture that is going so anti-Christian that it's getting harder and harder to biblically pastor. Pray for our leaders. Engage in ministry. 
a lot of you guys do serve, and I love it. I love walking around on Sunday morning, seeing you guys serve in preschool, seeing you guys serve in kids' church, seeing you guys, some of you guys serve in student ministry with me, and I love it. Like, it, it brings me great joy to see young adults serving. But if you're not, man, you're missing out. You're missing out on being a part of that gospel-centered church growth. You're missing out on opportunities to disciple. You're missing out on opportunities to come alongside and walk somebody through their faith journey and be a part of that process. Because listen, when, when somebody that you've been discipling or somebody you've been like pouring into makes that decision for Christ, man, like there's no greater feeling. It's one of those things in ministry that keeps you going. Like Sunday night was life-giving for me. It gave me easily another like five years in student ministry. Like it kept me going. It keeps you moving. And I want to encourage you guys, get involved in ministry. Engage in ministry. Serve where needed. There is no shortage of opportunities to serve Jesus. I mean, we look in this passage and we see, like, out of nowhere, they were given, seven men were given a job like that. Oh, we, oh, that's right, we forgot about the Hellenists and their widows. Hey, get your seven best and serve. If you were to come to us in ministry and be like, hey, I want to serve, like, watch out. Because you're going to get, like, 800 emails from different ministries <laughs> being like, hey, come over here, come over here. We have this thing called Discover Cross Life here at church, and it's like our membership class. And they fill out this survey, and it's like, and part of that survey is, like, where would you like to serve? And, like, opportunities, and it's got, like, 800 million opportunities for them to serve. And like, as a pastor, we get a PDF copy of that the following morning. And I, I usually go through them pretty quickly. Um, and if anyone even like remotely like checks near student ministry, I shoot them an email. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, let's talk. I see it. And they're like, actually, I marked above student. I was like, oh, so sorry. But student ministry, let's talk about that. Like, I, we, we are ready to plug people in and get them serving. So that's not an excuse if you're just a consumer sitting on the sidelines. Know that we're not meant for that. We're meant to be a part of the gospel-centered church growth movement. Being proclaimers of the good news. Serving alongside in the church. Doing everything we can to continue to see people come to Jesus. Will you join us in that? Will you, will, you, will you partner with us as a church, as a ministry, as individuals that will continue to, to just point people towards the good news of the gospel, towards the life-changing power of the blood of Jesus? I hope so. Like I said, those little cards that we gave you that are on your table for the study hall night, that's just a small way. A small way you can help be the hands and feet of Christ to maybe... That night, they'll get into a conversation with some of us and our leadership team that are sitting here with them. Maybe they'll ask questions, and we have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Everything we do is pointing towards gospel-centered church growth. Let's be a part of it. Let me pray for us. Father, as we process what we've heard, as we unpack it, as we apply it to our lives, God, I pray Lord, that it would take root in our hearts. God, that you would move in a mighty way in this place, Lord. That you would, God, equip 
empower, embolden us, Lord, to be a part of gospel-centered church growth. Lord, we know problems are going to come. We know that issues are going to come up. We know that the church is imperfect, but, and there's going to be issues that come up over time, Lord, but Lord, help us to push through those, to find solutions, to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Lord, ultimately so that we could see our friends, that we could see our peers, that we could see our classmates come to know you as their Lord and Savior. God, give us the courage, give us the boldness to do this starting immediately. God, we love you. It's in your most glorious and precious name we pray. Let's stand together, guys, as we close out in worship.